Well, the title of my message today is, Where Are You Headed? Where Are You Headed? Came across an article called, Death by GPS, a while ago. Uh, Most death by GPS incidents, uh, thankfully, do not result in death, but uh, there are a lot of close calls that were talked about in this article. For example... There was a group of Japanese tourists and students who were in Australia, and they wanted to go from the mainland to an island, and the GPS told them to drive straight ahead, and they went straight ahead into the ocean. Um, There was a man who drove his BMW down a narrow path in a Yorkshire village, and he nearly went over a cliff, and he insisted that the GPS told him it was a road. And then there's a final one here. This kind of hits close to home. An elderly couple driving through southern Germany. The GPS tells them to turn right, but there's no road there. Instead, there's a church, and they plow right into the church. It's a small church on the Austrian border. And they said to the police, we didn't know the navigation system was faulty. Well, the point with all this is that, of course, we need to, once in a while, check our course, check the direction we're headed in, look up. And spiritually, the question is this that I want us to reflect on. Am I getting closer to God, the direction of life, the way that I'm living, the way that I'm thinking? Is it bringing me closer to God and his will or farther from him? And what I want to do is look at primarily our two Old Testament readings, the psalm and the selection from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 30 for some principles to think about as we think about this concept of direction and this question, where are we headed? These are two pivotal texts in the Old Testament, two very important texts in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 30 is Moses' farewell speech to the people of Israel. Moses, the great man of God, the great leader of the people of Israel. Moses, the mediator of the law who has led the people of Israel for 40 years through the wilderness, is on the edge of the wilderness with the people of Israel in the plains of Moab, and he's not going to be able to enter into the promised land. He's getting ready to hand off the reins of leadership to Joshua, his assistant. And he says to the people of Israel, you're facing a crossroads. When you get into the promised land, which direction are you going to go? A pivotal text in the Old Testament. And then Psalm 1, of course, is is a key text. It's the entryway into the Psalter, the songbook of the people of God. This is classified as a psalm of wisdom. So it is an entry into the life of wisdom. The principles, the things that are being taught in Psalm 1 is an entryway into a life of wisdom, wisdom from God. So I want to look primarily at these two texts for what they can teach us about these principles when it comes to the direction that we're going. And the first principle is this, that our desires influence our direction. Our desires set the course. We head where our heart goes. And so it's, a key, it's of key importance in the Christian life to check your heart, to check your desires. And so in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 30, 
Moses says this. He says, uh, verse 15, See, I've set before you life and death, good and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God. That's language of the heart. Loving the Lord your God, walking in His ways and keeping His commandments. But the starting point is loving God. Loving the Lord your God is the first commandment. We recite that every Sunday. And it is also the engine that drives our obedience to, to, to obey all of God's commandments. So we have to ask ourselves, where, where is our heart? What is our deepest longing? What are our deepest loves? Is God first? In our gospel reading, Jesus makes it clear that he must be first to follow him, to be a disciple. And then if you jump down to the uh, end of that passage in, in verse 20, again, he brings up loving the Lord your God. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice. So it starts with love. It starts with the heart. It starts with the affections. That determines the direction that our life will go. And that's why Moses issues this caution in the middle of this text, verse 17, about the heart. If your heart turns away from the Lord, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. And then he warns of consequences to come. But you see the progression there? The heart is turned away from loving God. Then the ear is turned away from hearing God. And then consequences follow from that. Now, in uh, the first psalm, there's also the writer of the first psalm. And by the way, we don't know if it's David. Probably is David, but it's not. We don't have uh, we don't have the author. Uh, we don't know the author of Psalm one. It's not in the heading, um, but most likely it is David. But the author of Psalm one he also uses the language of the heart when he talks about. The blessed man delights in the law of the Lord. He delights in the law of the Lord. So the desire sets uh, the, the direction. Both the psalmist and Moses know that. And that's why early on in this chapter 30 of Deuteronomy, Moses talks about the day is coming when God is going to give the people of Israel a new heart. A heart, he says, that's been circumcised. You know, in the Old Testament, the covenant signed for the people of Israel that you belong to the people of God was circumcision. But he looks forward to a day when their hearts will be circumcised. Their hearts will be set apart for the Lord. And then they will love the Lord their God with all their heart. That's what he says in Deuteronomy uh, 30, verse 6. Looking forward to that day when their hearts will be circumcised them and their offspring, so that they will love the Lord their God with all their heart. Because he knows that if their heart isn't in the right place, it doesn't matter if they have the external sign of the covenant. There were people in the old covenant who had the mark of the covenant. They participated in the worship life of the church. They were raised to be in this community, but their heart was not close to God. They had not given their heart to God. And an analogy can be made in the Christian church. What's the sign of the covenant in the Christian church? It's baptism. And you can have somebody who's been baptized. And you can have somebody who joins in the worship of the Christian church. 
and goes through the rituals. But if their heart hasn't been changed by God, then they're going to be drawn away from God. The heart has to be changed. In the gospel, in the Christian gospel, it's not simply a matter of sheer obedience by willpower. The heart has to change in order for obedience to really follow and for us to live a fruitful life. And so God has to soften the hearts of people, and that affects the change. Tim Keller gives a great example of this in one of his books. He talks about you take a, 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 a metal rod and try to bend a metal rod without the softening effects of heat. And what happens? Well, if you bend it far enough, it's going to snap. If you bend it just a little bit and you let go of it, it's going to revert back to its former position, its former form. But when, metal, when heat is applied to that metal, you can reshape it. You can rebend it. And he makes the analogy with what God does in a person's heart. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing the love of God in Jesus Christ and understanding what he's done for you is the melting effect of God's love. It melts people's hearts and then God can reform a person's life and that will shape the direction of their life. When they understand and hear that God loves them and gave his own son for them to be restored to new life. But the problem is when people come into the church and they have not had that transforming work of their heart done, maybe they want to conform to the behavioral standards of the community. They want to be part of the community and they discern what the rules are. If I do these certain things and avoid these certain things, then I'll be in with this community and I'll look good. And and maybe some people think if I do these certain things and avoid these certain uh, behaviors, then I'll merit approval from God. Or maybe I'll merit my parents' approval. And they come in and they try to obey God, but their heart has not been changed. What happens over time, oftentimes, is they snap because they cannot bear the weight of that pressure and they walk away from the church or they bounce back to their former way of life because the heart has not been changed. And so what God wants to do in our lives and with the people that come into this church is melt their heart with the gospel of Jesus. That's the starting point. That's what we need to pray for. We need to pray that this happens in our hearts. We need to pray that this happens in our children, in our grandchildren's hearts. The melting effect of the gospel to shape into a heart and reshape a life. So where are the desires of your heart today? You have a heart for God? Is that desire for God priority number one in your life? This might be a day... You know, when, when um, Moses is giving this in Deuteronomy chapter 30, this is a day of covenant renewal for the people of Israel. Maybe this is a day for somebody here to renew their relationship with God and to admit that he's not the number one desire of their heart. There are other desires that are displacing the heart for God. We have an opportunity every Sunday when we come to the table to renew our covenant with Jesus Christ. Maybe somebody needs to do that today. So our heart, our desires, influence the direction that our life is going. And then the voices we listen to also shape the direction that we're going. Remember the GPS stories. They were listening to the wrong voice. 
Moses calls the people to obey the voice of God. Verse 20, loving the Lord your God, obeying His voice and holding fast to Him. He warns about not hearing the voice of God and then being drawn away to worship other gods and serve Him. This great man of God, who is a pillar of the faith in the Old Testament. You have Abraham, you have Moses, you have David. These are the great men of God in the Old Testament. These are men who knew God. And this great man of God, as he's passing off the scene, says, it is important for you, it is of primary importance to hear and heed the voice of God in your life. He says it all the way throughout Deuteronomy. And the whole of Deuteronomy is really comprised of his farewell addresses. Deuteronomy 30 is the last one. But all throughout it is this great man of God's final words to his people. And over and over again, some 50 times in Deuteronomy, he says, listen to God's voice. Hear him and obey him. This is where your life is. To know God and to obey Him. And so we have to listen to the voice of God. Now, in our psalm, Psalm 1, again, it's a psalm about two ways of life. Two paths to go down. And the psalmist says that the blessed man is the one who does what? Delights in the law of the Lord. And on His law, he meditates day and night. The law of the Lord, of course, was in the Old Testament, the Torah. The covenant instruction of God to His people. The wisdom of God for His people. The way to think about the world and to think about life and the way to behave as God's people in this life. And so the blessed man, he says, is the one who absorbs that into his life. He makes room in his life to hear the voice of God. It's actually a priority. He meditates on the Word of God day and night. I came across this thing several years ago that I found helpful. Somebody said that we need to make a distinction between reading the Bible for information and then meditating on the Bible for transformation. It's not enough just to read the Bible. We need the information. We need to study it intellectually and understand the history and the doctrines and who wrote this and who wrote that. But that's not the primary thing. That's not how you get wisdom. Wisdom is from meditating on the word of God and thinking to yourself prayerfully, how does this apply to me? That's meditation. How does it apply to my thinking? How does it apply to my behavior? How does it apply to the way I see the world? God has given us His Word not just as an intellectual puzzle to be solved, not primarily like that at all. There are men who know the Bible frontwards and backwards, who know the original languages. Some of them have it memorized in these languages. But they treat it as an intellectual puzzle and not as God's Word to them. They don't meditate on the Word of God. They hold it at arm's length, something to dissect. But the psalmist says that's not the way of wisdom. The wise person is the one who meditates, absorbs it into their life, hears the word of God, it shapes their thinking and their behavior. That's the positive thing that he does in verse 2. Look at the negative thing that he does not do. In verse 1, he does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He's not going to take the advice of people who don't care about the covenant, who don't care about the things of God. 
It's not that he doesn't care about them or love them, but he's not going to walk the way that they walk. They don't know God. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. He's not going to identify with those who, again, are in rebellion against God. And the blessed man, the righteous man, certainly isn't going to sit in the seat of scoffers. Those who look down their nose on God's people and on the things of God. Those who look down their nose on the things of God from a perch of sophistication, and cynicism. There's a lot of that in our world today. The blessed man's not going to sit down. He's not going to identify with him. He's not going to allow those voices to influence his mind and his behavior. Instead, he's going to listen to the voice of God in the word. Because the voices we listen to influence the direction our life takes. The voice we listen to influences our mood and what's important to us. I heard this week, I heard... uh, an interview with somebody I think is a living saint in our time, Johnny Erickson Tata. Maybe some of you know the story of Johnny Erickson Tata, who was paralyzed at the age of 17. She became a quadriplegic because of a diving accident. This was a young girl who had her whole life ahead of her. She was athletic. She was, um, she was attractive. She was smart. She had a scholarship to a college. She was ready to go, and at age 17... She had this terrible diving accident. And she, of course, was in the hospital for a very long time. And she fell into dark depression. And she even had suicidal thoughts. And she said in this interview, I was coddling my depression. You know that can happen? Coddle our depression? Get our, our identity is wrapped up in this darkness and we sort of embrace it? That's what she was doing. She says, I was listening to sad, sorrowful, depressing Beatles songs. This was in the late 60s or so. And just it was just coming into my, I was just wanting to coddle that, and I was listening to it, it was shaping my thinking. But then there was a young man who came into my hospital room, and he began to talk to me about the Bible. She, was, she had been raised in church, but she was not really, she was a nominal Christian at this point in her life. And he said, at one point, he said, Joni, you know the Bible says that you need to give thanks in all circumstances. Wow. Imagine saying that to somebody who's just been paralyzed. I don't think I would have said that. But she, when she heard that, she said, maybe this is my way out of the darkness. And so she said, I just began giving thanks for small things. Thank you, God, that I'm just paralyzed from the neck down. Thank you, God, that my friends are still coming. Thank you, God, that my mind is intact. Thank you, God, that my hospital room is near the cafeteria, or the dining hall, rather, so that when I get there, my cornmeal is hot and not cold. Those are the sorts of things she started thanking God for. And she said as she obeyed God's word, as she obeyed the voice of God in the scripture, the mood began to lift, the darkness began to lift, the depression began to lift, and that led her to dive deeper and deeper into God's word, and then she began to follow the counsel of God, and now here she is now a great testimony to the grace of God. And she's had great influence in many people's lives. Thousands of people have been brought into fellowship with God through her ministry. But it started because she said, I'm going to listen not to this dark voice in my head, but the voice of God. What voice are you listening to? Voice 
of depression, of darkness, of defeat, the voice of the culture, we need to listen to the voice of God. That determines the way that we'll go. We need to make space in our life and in our family life for the Word of God. All right, the final principle here. We've seen that uh, our desires influence our direction, the voices we listen to to, uh, influence our direction, and then our destiny. Our destiny is determined by the direction we choose to go. And this is the sobering point. This is a warning, really. I say sobering because there's perishing, but there's also life. That's it. If we choose the path that God calls us to, there's life, an abundant life. And so we see that in both of these passages. Moses warns the people of God. He says in verse 18, I declare today that you shall surely perish if you turn away to worship other gods and serve them. I declare today that you will surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to enter and possess. And that's what happened, isn't it? In the history of Israel, they got into the land and they turned to other gods. And then God had to send a judgment. God had to send the nation of of Babylon, the Babylonian Empire, to take over Judah and Israel. And Jerusalem was destroyed and the people of God were sent into exile in Babylonian captivity. And Moses warned them about that that they would surely perish if they gave their hearts to other gods, listen to other voices. And then, of course, the psalm. The psalm talks about the wicked who will not stand in the judgments, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The wicked who are like the shaft that the wind drives away. The wicked who their way will perish. But the one who delights in the law of the Lord is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They're like the chaff. Picture somebody thrashing the wheat out in the field. And the chaff is up, thrown up into the air. And the wind takes away those parts that are not really usable. They're not of value. And the wicked, those who resist God and turn from him until God gets a hold of their life, are of no value in the kingdom of God. They're of value to God, of course. But they can't produce the kind of fruit that is life-giving. They can't produce the kind of fruit that Galatians talks about, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Instead, they participate in the works of the flesh. And so, uh, we need to heed the warning here. We need to understand that in our lives, our choices begin to shape our destiny. God is merciful and gracious. When we're headed down the wrong path, aren't you thankful that God intervenes in his grace and mercy and says, if you keep going down this road, disasters around the next bend. In his mercy, he reaches out to us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we need to pay attention to the direction we're going. And we need to understand this, church, that every person we meet is on one of these two paths. The Bible never talks about a third path, a neutral ground. No, from the Old Testament, here in Deuteronomy, through the apostles, through Jesus Christ himself, who talks about the narrow gate. Broad is the way to destruction. Many enter therein. Narrow is the gate to eternal life, Jesus teaches. And so all throughout the Bible, we have, there's just two paths. And we need to pray that those who are on the wrong path, that their heart is changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we'll have an opportunity to share Jesus' love with them. 
Well, friends, I'm going to conclude here. I, I do want to say one other, illust- one, one other illustration, and this is, I'm, I'm hesitant to use it because I know nothing about aviation, and there are people here who do. But it's the one degree principle in aviation. I've read about the one degree principle in aviation. If a pilot is off just one degree over time, it can lead to disaster. So the example I read about, say a plane that's one degree off its heading and it's traveling at 240 miles an hour, in one hour, if it continues off that course, it's going to be four miles off its target. And that could lead, that could make the difference between a tragic ending or a smooth landing. And what I'm asking you today, brothers and sisters, to consider, do you need to make a course correction? Do you need to re-examine your heart? Do you need to examine where your desires are? Is God a desire, the number one desire of your life? To know Him, to love Him, to serve Him. Are you listening to the voice of God in your life? Are you taking time to listen and obey the voice of God? Are you taking seriously this warning that God gives throughout all of the Bible that there are two paths? One of perishing, but one of everlasting life. Choose life, Moses says. Choose life. Let's pray. Gracious God, I pray that you'll help us to do that. I I pray that you'll help us to take time to consider the course that we're headed on. If we need to make a correction, help us to repent. Help us to surrender our hearts afresh to you today. If we need to do that, I pray that as we take communion, it would be a time of renewal. Maybe for some people there needs to just be an honest confession that I don't desire God and and asking God to give me the desire and a new heart. But Lord, help us to be honest with you and where we're at. And we thank you for your grace and mercy that intervenes in our life, just like today, you're intervening in the life of some people to change the trajectory of their path. You want us to be fruitful for you. We thank you that through Jesus Christ, as we remain connected to him, we can be fruitful. He's the vine and we're the branch. Help us to stay in union with Christ. In his name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.